I'm Spencer Levy, and this is The Weekly Take. On this episode, we turn our attention towards the nation's capital. You sort of look at what Washington has tried to do, and I think originally people thought that what we needed to be doing was building a bridge, in a, in a sense. And the problem we're seeing is really, is the bridge going to get us there as it's currently constructed? That's Jeffrey DeBoer in Washington, D.C. He's a real estate veteran who now heads up the nation's most influential real estate trade association, the Real Estate Roundtable, whose members represent the interests of millions of people across the industry and trillions of dollars of real estate value. Many lenders hit the pause button. They stopped lending altogether. And we've seen a, a lot of lenders come back, but we've also got some fallen soldiers, if you will. And that's Brian Stoffers, my colleague calling in from Vail, Colorado. His teams are responsible for hundreds of billions of dollars in loan volume in the U.S. and around the world. Brian also is the chairman of the Mortgage Bankers Association, representing interest across all areas of the real estate finance industry. A conversation about policy, priorities, and possibilities. That's right now on The Weekly Take. Welcome to The Weekly Take. This is Spencer Levy, and I'm delighted to be joined by two old friends of mine who have been in the business for a very long time. One of them is my former boss. Uh, First, we are joined by Jeff DeBoer, the CEO and president of the Real Estate Roundtable. Jeff, good afternoon. Good afternoon. So glad you're here. And Brian Stoffers, who is uh, wearing two hats today uh, as both the chairman of the Mortgage Bankers Association, but the global head of debt and structured finance at CBRE, and yes, my former boss. Brian, how are you? I'm just fine. Thanks, Spencer. Good afternoon. Well, gentlemen, we're here today to talk about public policy and commercial real estate. And to begin, Jeff, I don't think a lot of people out there know the Real Estate Roundtable well. Could you just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Well, we are a trade association in the eyes of the law, uh, but our sole purpose in life is to try and help national policymakers think through economic policy and specifically policies that relate to income producing real estate. Our idea is to try and get the industry to talk in a more coordinated way to Washington policymakers. So we work daily with members of Congress and uh, daily with trade associations, and we try to uh, explain what's really important uh, to the industry. Well, thank you, Jeff. Brian, to you, uh, in your two hats uh, as the chairman of the Mortgage Bankers Association, and also tell us a little bit about your role as the head of debt and structured finance at CBRE. Sure. So I started with CBRE about 39 years ago this summer, as a matter of fact, and I've spent almost the entire time after my uh, initial training in the mortgage banking and structured finance business. So that's what I know best. Uh, I took a global leadership role in that business uh, some 10 years ago or so. And along the way, I became very active in the Mortgage Bankers Association. Uh, They have what's called the ladder. And uh, more recently, I was named chairman of the Mortgage Bankers Association. It's basically a three-year ladder where you apprentice under uh, former chairmen's and you kind of learn the ropes. Um, every third year, they have a commercial multifamily chairman. So obviously, I'm coming from that perspective. The alternate two years are occupied by single-family residential mortgage banking firms. Got it. Brian, what is going on in the market right now? Um, and uh, what is the MBA doing about it? Sure. Well, there's two very divergent paths that are taking place currently. The single-family residential mortgage market is on fire. 
volumes by most of these uh, members are up two to four times what they were during the same period last year. And that's despite the COVID issues, uh, work from home issues, and uh, the forbearance issues. In terms of the commercial multifamily business, our business is off. And it's off because of a, a number of factors. Number one, the sales volumes across the board and all asset types are down from prior levels. So there's less acquisition financing taking place. And then lenders have become quite selective. In fact, for a while during the peak of the crisis, uh, many lenders hit the pause button and they stopped lending altogether. Uh, they weren't sure how to price their assets or price their mortgages because of the, the speed at which spreads were changing. So they just pulled out. And we've seen a, a lot of lenders come back, but we've also got some fallen soldiers, if you will, lenders that uh, may not make it through this crisis. Um, availability of capital is, is back to a large degree in the debt space, but it's very, very conservative. I would say on average, five to 10% less uh, proceeds than pre-COVID. And when it comes to asset classes like lodging and retail, very, very difficult to come by. Well, same question to you, Jeff. What are the main things that your constituencies are telling you about what's going on in the commercial real estate markets today? Well, what I'm really hearing the most about, I suppose, would be almost fear. So our primary concern really, when you get right down to it, is more about the overall underlying economy. If we can get the economy going back again, you know, and get people working again, get these businesses open to some degree, you know, a lot of the stress will start to dissipate. But I will say that we're highly concerned and very focused on what may be coming uh, in the next few months. Jeff hit on it. I think the uncertainty translates to fear, and there is a lot of uncertainty out there. Um, we have been pleasantly surprised at the remittances in our loan servicing book. We have a $240 billion loan servicing book globally, and it's holding up quite, quite well for now. But there is that uncertainty out there. Brian, I, I mean, I think when you step back, you sort of look at what Washington has tried to do. And I think originally, you know, people thought that what we needed to be doing was building a bridge, in a sense, a bridge to get people and businesses to a point where they could return to some semblance of normalcy. And the problem, I think, that you're talking about and the one that we're seeing is really is the bridge going to get us there as it's currently constructed? Is it long enough? Is it strong enough? And I think, you know, there's a great deal of concern about that because the PPP, the, the payroll protection plan, that helped people pay their rent. And the unemployment, as you mentioned, and the supplemental, as those burn off, if you will, from the federal government, will it be time to where it burns off at the same time that the economy regenerates itself or will there be this lapse? And if there is a lapse, that's really the, the focus, I think, of a great deal of concern right now. Right. Well, it is a timing issue. And I think the fact that we're going through this extension, if you will, of the first wave of COVID is creating that additional uneasiness. Well, let's talk about that uncertainty and I guess our crystal ball of the odds of there being another package, another extension, because we know the PPP payroll protection plan was extended till August. Uh, unemployment hasn't happened yet, but that may happen too. Uh, so, uh, Jeff, in your estimation, do you see these programs being extended through the election or beyond? Well, I think that the question might, if I could revise the question just a little bit, I've been around politicians so long that, you know, I'm going to answer the question I want to answer. <laughs> Maybe it'll match up. But I think that Washington 
uh, maybe a month ago, wasn't too certain that they needed to do another COVID relief package. I, I think that's largely changed now. I think everyone realizes that another, uh, some sort of relief needs to be provided to the American people and American businesses. So I'm very optimistic that there will be another package. How big will it be? You know, the House has already passed one that is a roughly three, three and a half trillion. Uh, the president, I believe today or yesterday, laid down a marker saying uh, he wanted a package around one trillion, usually, and people in real estate can understand this. If the seller's saying, yeah, I want three, and the buyer says, I'll give you one, well, I guess it's going to be somewhere around uh, two. So I would expect that they, they'll do a bill, and I think that they will do it for August. Uh, once they do recess, they'll be in full sprint for re-election. So I'm optimistic on all of this in the sense of something being done, but I'm not terribly optimistic in the sense of it being enough. Well, Brian, let's just focus in on Main Street Lending Program for uh, retail uh, owners, hotel owners, that um, uh, particularly those in CMBS. And there's been some talk about that. It went away. It came back. What's the status of that, Brian? Yeah, I I agree that it's very, very difficult to go into a CMBS structure and legislate change that would solve the issue that's really pressing now very hard on lodging and and retail borrowers in CMBS land. Uh, There is a discussion of a a preferred equity plan that would uh, come in ahead of the mortgage with a return of somewhere in the 2% range to the government that might be able to uh, accommodate the the REMIC structure of a CMBS loan. And I think that probably has a a more decent chance. There's what over a hundred congressmen now that are behind an effort to to help those types of borrowers now with some sort of uh, plan that would perhaps come out of treasury or or the Fed somehow to help along these lines. But it's a conundrum. Uh, It's interesting because the Fed has supported banks with basically free money uh, through this pandemic. And they did it very, very quickly, unlike 2008, where it took up to 18 months to get the plans rolling. This happened very, very quickly, and we made a few mistakes along the way. But as a result, I think the banks are taking a very different line with lodging and retail borrowers, and for that matter, any type of borrower that really needs COVID-related assistance in terms of um, forbearance on their loans. And so we've seen very accommodative discussions going on between banks and their borrowers, uh, very constructive conversations. And and I don't think we're going to see the calamity that we saw last go around when essentially that issue was caused by aggressive underwriting and um, poor standards, if you will. Ryan, we all know that uh, there were uh, innovations that came out of the terrible tragedies of 9-11, Hurricane Sandy and Going back to the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory of 1911, we could talk about what happened because of that. But uh, from your perspective, Brian, and then Jeff, what positive innovations might happen in our industry as a result of this crisis? I think there'll be a lot of innovation coming out of it. Uh, Just the whole return to work and how we work, uh, it'll become safer. It'll become more flexible. Uh, It'll become uh, perhaps more engaging. Uh, in a different way. So I, I think there will be changes. And I think many of those changes, while be awkward for some of the old dogs in the business to uh, perhaps get used to, I think it'll be embraced by the newer generation coming to work for, for the first time. Uh, it'll be different. But I do think there will be positives that come out of that. 
Jeff, same question to you. Positives coming out of this crisis? I think that there might be an underappreciation for working together and working in a collegial office environment. There's going to be an awareness that you miss a lot if you're not in your office. You miss the synergy. You miss the opportunity to stop someone in the hall and say, hey, I just thought about this. And what do you think about that? And I think that there will be a tremendous amount of innovative ways to keep our workspace or our lodging space or our restaurant spaces, you know, more healthy. And right now it's kind of a patchwork, you know, we're moving chairs around, but eventually there will be some really interesting ways that people will survive in a healthy way. People will apply their minds to this and it'll be great stuff, Spencer. So I think the notion of a pandemic insurance is, is novel. We haven't had one of these since 1918. Um, it hasn't really been thought about. So it's certainly worth considering. My guess is it would be full of caveats, uh, much like TRIA was initially, but TRIA has certainly helped create more liquidity in the market. And the fact that we just extended it now for a number of years instead of the, the six month or one year patch is a, is a real plus. Um, you know, God willing, we don't have to deal with another terrorism attack like that. But um, this pandemic thing, we're all learning about it. And, and is it going to be around forever? And and will it go in waves or is it is it indeed every hundred years? We just don't know yet. So it's, it's really hard to quantify what this sort of insurance policy might look like on a go forward basis. Yeah, these are big, big issues, aren't they? I mean, and they really go to the ability to get off the bridge that I'm talking about. And if businesses don't have a roadmap uh, on what they are supposed to be doing to keep people healthy when they come in contact with their business, if they don't understand it. And I'm talking about schools and hospitals and bowling alleys and shopping centers and off everything. We need to understand what it is that we're supposed to be doing as a reasonable person in order to not subject ourselves to potential liability claims down the road. We don't want a blanket shield. We're not talking about protecting people from negligent activities and certainly not people that are grossly negligent. But we want to understand what we should be doing so that we can do them and protect the people that work in our buildings and that come into our buildings every day. And without that protection, it's going to be very hard for businesses and people and hospitals and schools and everyone to move forward. So this is critically important. One of the things that's clearly going to happen going forward is there's going to be, uh, much like post 9-11, there was the focus on more security post Hurricane Harvey on resilience. There's going to be more focused on wellness. Is the industry now talking to Congress and others about trying to get some tax incentives or otherwise for wellness upgrades to buildings? The short answer is yes. We are talking to members of Congress about this. But the longer answer is what are we talking to them about? What are we trying to do? I mean, we don't need probably a tax incentive to put Purell dispensers in the lobbies. But we may need tax incentives to put in some highly, not only energy efficient, but highly, you know, air cleaning HVAC systems or something like that. We just don't really know yet. And we don't know the cost or the scale yet, but certainly something that has got to be talked about. So in addition to the the terrible tragedy of the COVID crisis, uh, we also have a tremendous amount of social movements going on in the United States uh, related to some uh, really horrible events um, uh, in cities in Minneapolis, Atlanta and elsewhere. Uh, but out of uh, these terrible tragedies, there may be opportunity uh, to be better. Jeff, what's your point of view? Well, I've spent the last 
40 years, shockingly enough, working on policy from a point of view of what's the right policy overall. And I think that it's very important for people like me advocating policy to look at policies and to try and determine are these providing equal opportunities for people? Should we be encouraging you know, types of investments or types of policies that will uh, you know, broaden the opportunities for everybody, for women-owned entities, for minority-owned entities, for veteran-owned entities. I just think it's very important for our industry and for the economy and for America in general. It's about how our industry positions itself to be part of the solution going forward and to recognize that some of these investment uh, decisions that people in our industry make have not necessarily been fully informed decisions. They've been one-sided decisions. They've been bottom line decisions. And maybe there's an additional line that we should be thinking about. And that is the benefit to society overall from our investment decisions. And if you can do good to be good, right? That's what we want to do. So uh, I, I thank you for asking that question. I think it's very important, Spencer. I really think this has created a movement and not just a moment. One of the biggest ways that wealth is created among Americans is through real estate ownership. And typically that comes in the way of home ownership. And the disparity between Caucasian ownership and black ownership, for instance, African-American ownership is immense. And so I think policy that can assist in that wealth creation through real estate ownership is, is absolutely crucial. Um, diversity and inclusion has become a big topic amongst all corporate America. I know in our own company at CBRE, I believe we're the six of our last appointees to the, the board have been diverse candidates between gender and people of color. And, and it's really brought forth a terrific perspective of how we ought to be operating our business moving forward. So I think we are making progress, not fast enough. We've got to hold ourselves accountable to it. Um, but I really think that we need to be deliberate and intentional uh, in the way we go forward and we will make some progress. And I can see it happening now, uh, despite these awful tragedies. Let's change gears. What are you looking at right now that would give you an indication that there are some green shoots? Um, tell us what they are. And then uh, to speak with one voice, what is the single biggest thing you think we as an industry should be asking for? Well, there are a lot of green shoots out there. I'm an optimist by nature. Um, I'm looking at corporate spreads coming in dramatically from peak levels. I'm looking at availability of debt capital uh, coming in uh, quite substantially and, and becoming more abundant. Uh, equity capital bursting at the, the seams trying to find investments. Now, obviously, things have, have paused a bit, but there's a lot of reason for optimism uh, come fall if things start loosening up a little bit. Uh, so I, I think that's all on, on the positive side uh, in, the, in the debt space in particular. Now, it's going to be different going forward. Underwriting is going to be different. We've got a lot to solve for in some of these product categories. So that's something we need to, um, to think about as well. I think we've come together in a very bipartisan way as an industry and trade associations uh, coming together with ideas that, that are helping each other as well as the constituencies that we represent. So that's another green shoot positive that's coming out of this. I do have some concerns over what happens in November and how things could potentially splinter from there. But at this point, I feel good about what we're doing as a, an association.
Well, same question to you, Jeff. Uh, any green shoots you see out there to give you a little bit more optimism, number one? And number two, from the one voice perspective, uh, I know you have a lot of policy prescriptions, but for our listeners, they were to run into their congressman uh, in the street and say, hey, do this. What would you say to them? I guess on the first part, on the green shoots, I mean, oddly enough, there are transactions going on, not necessarily in retail and lodging, but there are some transactions going on. And I think that as, you know, society and the economy changes in order to react to all of this, that building owners and and financiers are going to be right at the forefront of some really, really innovative, forward-thinking ways to accommodate the the new way of life, whatever that is. So I'm very optimistic about that. And I think think it will spur a lot of interesting thinking and it will accelerate a lot of interesting thinking. You know, the COVID situation has lit a fuse on trends that were out there to begin with, obviously in the retail sector and brick and mortar versus e-commerce, but also in lodging on Airbnb versus hotels, if you will. Uh, also on a co-working space. All of these pressures that were out there are now, you know, fast forwarded many years, I think. We'll find all kinds of great things. Look, they're talking about retail centers. You know, we've had an ongoing problem on affordable housing and a housing crisis. And, you know, some people are suggesting that maybe some retail centers can be converted to, you know, some housing with still some retail mix in it. I don't know. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. But it will spur thinking like this and we will move forward in a positive way. As far as the priorities and what someone should say to a member of Congress, you know, I live in a world of what is possible, not in a world of what I would like to do. And right now, I don't think that it is possible to get direct assistance for any business that has access to credit and capital elsewhere. But that's not the same as getting direct assistance for our clients, our businesses, our tenants, the people that live in our buildings and the people that have their businesses in our buildings. And I think that that is where if I had to, if I see a member of Congress or or a senator, that's what I talk about. We have to get these businesses in a situation where they can survive, we have to help America get back to the business of business. I'm pretty optimistic on policy and pretty optimistic on going forward, even though it's a little shaky out there. I was a pitcher, you know, I threw a knuckleball when I played baseball and um, my ball moved all over the place, up, down, sideways, backwards, everything. And, I saw a novel uh, idea out of uh, UK today where the government's going to pick up one half of restaurant checks. Did you see that? No. That's well, there you go. See, we don't know where it's going. There's all kinds of ways to get there. And my point on the baseball thing was we don't know where this is going. It's going all over the place. And to think we do is not right. And, and we should have great flexibility in policy right now, I think. Well, from a, from a green shoot perspective and a baseball perspective, you'll appreciate this, Jeff, because my son plays travel baseball. And I've been traveling back and forth to North and South Carolina the last five weekends. And I got to tell you something. First of all, he can't hit the knuckleball. So you, you would be good at pitching against my son. Um, he can hit everything else. He's a good player. But knuckleball is not his strength. But there is real optimism there. There's more optimism when you're outside some of these major cities than when you're in some of these major cities. And that, and that is a green shoot that uh, 
least I'm trying to hang my hat on while I'm going to a lot of baseball games. Brian, what advice are you giving to younger folks right now um, on how to deal with this crisis and uh, you know best move forward? Well, I would say a, a crisis makes you stronger coming out the other end. And in my career, I've had five major downturns, nothing like what we're seeing now uh, caused by a pandemic, but I saw the SNL crisis. I saw the CMBS blow up. I saw the financial crisis of 2008. All of them had a little different hue, but you can come out of them stronger and smarter. It's interesting because uh, we've gone, what, roughly 12 years or so since the last big downturn. And, and some of the new people in the business have never experienced anything like this. And they're a bit of a deer caught in headlights. Um, but I try to reassure them that there, this is a learning moment. A tenacity and patience pay off. And staying in front of your clients, uh, communicating openly, and making the, the best of the situation is going to make you a better professional in the long run. You know, I think our industry should use this um, time to correct some of the problems that we've had uh, regarding inequality, unequal opportunities to people, diversity, and so forth. And I really think that, that we have an opportunity as an industry to step forward and all of us, you know, do what we can in the spheres of influence that we all have to try and address this. And what Brian said is absolutely true. Boy, I, I took a note on that one. I mean, stay in front of your clients, learn from what's going on and communicate with them. Nothing better than that. Well, agreed. Well, on behalf of the Weekly Take, I want to thank uh, two of my uh, longstanding friends and uh, colleagues, Jeff DeBoer and Brian Stoffers. Jeff, thank you very much, not only for being on our show, but for all of the wonderful work you do on behalf of our industry uh, for the Real Estate Roundtable. Brian, thank you as well for being a terrific colleague uh, and friend and for the work you do on NBA. Jeff, thank you. Thank you so much. Brian. You're welcome, Spence. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. For more information, go to CBRE backslash The Weekly Take. Until next time, I'm Spencer Levy. Be smart, be safe, be well.